take your Bible this morning, and I want you to turn to the book of Acts. Turn to the book of Acts, chapter 2. We're walking through a teaching series throughout the entirety of this book. Now, we're not going to bite the entirety of this book off in one punch, okay? Let me kind of tell you what's happening over the next several weeks. We're going to walk through the book of Acts right up to Easter. Easter Sunday, we're going to be at Innovation Amphitheater, one service only, kids and everybody. That's always a good day, right? And uh, Easter egg hunt afterward, all that stuff. It's going to be a fun, fun, exciting day as we, as we celebrate the risen Lord. And then we will start a teaching series on heaven, which is going to be a lot of fun because we're going to answer some of the questions you may have about heaven. What is heaven like? What do I expect? Am I going to be an angel with a harp on a cloud, which sounds really awful, right? And we're going to knock out some of those myths and deal with what heaven is going to be like. But in the meantime, I'm having a lot of fun preparing for this. Now, you might be thinking this is boring as watching paint dry, but I'm sorry, y'all. This is like the beginning and the birth of the body of Christ, and it is so wonderful to begin to study this and begin to understand it. Uh, new beginnings are great, right? It's also good to be a part of something for a long period of time. Um, I celebrated my wife and I 23 years of marriage yesterday. She only knows about 10 of them. Um, and so, and, 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 and the deal, this is how we celebrated. Somebody said, man, did y'all go out to a nice dinner? Did you do this? No, this is what we did. I got up early and took my daughter to catch a bus to go to a track meet. She made sure our son was up to go to work because we have to do that sometimes. And, and then I took a nap. Actually, she had waffles that we made the night before because we're breakfast for dinner people. You know, y'all, any y'all, any y'all like that? Then you know Jesus, right? And so here's the deal. We had waffles left over and she took a picture of our waffles and hers were all pretty, had blueberries on them and all the stuff. My Mine were chopped up and nasty, but that's how we roll. You know, that's us. And then we took a nap. We ran three miles. Yes, I did. I'm, I know it doesn't look like it. And then we got up and went to um, a track meet for the rest of the day. We ended our day. I ate pizza, and she ate gluten-free chicken nuggets in separate rooms watching movies, and we are wonderfully married. <laughs> 23 years, man. So here's the deal. New beginnings are great. Marinating is also good too, right? We're part of the body of Christ, and it's been around for about 2,000 years. But just like an anniversary, it's always good to go back and find out why. And as we approach Acts chapter 2, specifically verses 1 through 13, we see the beginning of the church. Now, what we've dealt with so far, Acts chapter 1, I want to remind you of a couple of things. The book of Acts is really volume 2 of two books, the Gospel of Luke who he wrote to a guy named Theophilus, and then the book of Acts, which he wrote to a guy named, we're not going to say that word, Theophilus, right? So it's two books really in one. And the first part in the Gospel of Luke, he talks about everything that Jesus has done, and then it talks about in the Gospel of Acts how the church was born, and how the apostles moved out and planted churches, the missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul, and how really the continuation, if we would say that there was a never, another chapter, there's 28 in the book of Acts, we're Acts 29. We're continuing to live that out, right? And we're waiting for Jesus to come back. You're part of the story, it's just not written yet. Now, that being said, there's a couple things that we've learned so far. First of all, Jesus has died. He's risen from the dead. He spent 40 days teaching the early church, and then he ascended into heaven. There are 123 or 20 people who embody what we would call the first church. They are led by 11 apostles. We learned last week they replaced Judas Iscariot with a guy named Matthias. So there are 12 now, and they're doing a couple of things. They're praying in unity. They're praying for God to move. They're obeying Jesus Christ by waiting in, in Jerusalem for what he promised was his Holy Spirit, and they're following Scripture. That's it. 
So they're gathered together in this place waiting for God. And in a moment, everything changes. Now, I'm a history nerd, and one of the things I've been watching lately is World War II in color on Netflix. Have any of y'all seen this? Some of you are like, this is amazing stuff, but here's what I've learned. I've seen this before, I've studied this before, but the Battle of Midway during World War II in the Pacific Ocean was the turning point for the United States in its war against the Japanese. And it literally turned in five minutes. So think about that. Everything prior to this point, they had been beaten at Pearl Harbor. We had been beaten in the Coral Sea. We had fewer aircraft carriers. We had fewer troops, fewer airplanes, fewer battleships. Our men had not been proven. Our leaders had not proven themselves on the field of battle. And in literally five minutes, the war turns and we win. And what happens here in Acts chapter 2, literally in a moment, everything changes for creation. This is good stuff that we're going to deal with this morning. This is the new beginning. This is the birth of the church. And this is why it's so important. Now, we can make a lot of different complaints about church, right, people? You've done it. I've done it, right? Whether it's the carpet color, the fact you're sitting here on a concrete floor, whether I didn't like the music or the pastor's really boring, or such and such made me mad. I mean, we can complain about anything. We just pick something. You know what I'm saying? The coffee's too strong. It's not strong enough. Whatever it may be. But here's the deal. The beginning and God's purpose in it is perfect. And as the Holy Spirit begins to move in these moments, we see a beautiful symphony of God orchestrating his power in powerful and mighty ways. Let's dive in. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Now, let's just kind of give context. This is the day of Pentecost. Pentecost is really traditionally a Christian holiday or a Christian day, right? It's 50 days after Easter. Um, and so in that time period, though, we have to understand Pentecost began as a Jewish celebration and still is. And what happens is 50 days after the Passover is that the Jewish people come together and they celebrate the harvest. They celebrate the fact that God had blessed them. They celebrate the fact that they had all this sustenance. And they remember themselves being in bondage in Egypt. They come out of Egypt. They're settled into a country. God provides crops. God provides land. God provides families. God provides all this stuff. And they come together. And it is a joyous event because they celebrate the fact that they were enslaved and now they're free and God has provided. Makes sense to everybody. Now, there were three times in a good Jewish male's life where they had to take a pilgrimage during one of these festivals to Jerusalem to celebrate and one of those times was Pentecost and really it was the one that was most anticipated and it was the one most attended because the weather was better better so you got to think thousands upon tens of thousands of people have swarmed into Jerusalem at this point and the disciples or that early church Acts chapter 1 verse 4 and 5 it says this Jesus gives them the commandment in the first part of Acts. He says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. Now, this is important. They're obeying Christ. They're staying in one place. 120 of them are gathered in what we would call maybe the upper room. Make sense? So they're there and they're waiting. Now, interestingly enough, notice what happens. This is where we can misunderstand some things. So I want you to listen fast. I'm going to talk faster. But it's good stuff. And I want you to get biblical accuracy as we walk through it. Acts chapter 2, verse 2. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house they were sitting. 
They saw what seemed to be tongues of fires that then separated and came to rest on each one of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. There's a lot just happened, agreed? Those, those three verses are pretty crazy. What just happened? God begins to do something different. Never seen this before. I've seen elements of it before, but never seen this. And then notice what happens. Now they were staying in Jerusalem. There were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Remember Pentecost. Tens of thousands of people from around the world are converging on Jerusalem to celebrate this festival. Now notice, when they heard the sound, which is the sound of the roaring of a wind, it says, because each one heard their own language being spoken, utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all of these who are speaking Galileans. Now, why is that important there, Galileans? Well, Galileans were country bumpkins. These guys were not those who you would think would be able to speak different languages. In fact, they had entirely different dialects. You ever been to Appalachia? It's kind of like that. Doesn't mean they're not intelligent. It's just, it's just a different dialect. I lived in Cajun, Louisiana for a long time, y'all. I still don't know what they said. Where's Sandra? She's in here somewhere. She's my raging Cajun. She's around here. She is in the back. She knows what I'm talking about. Now, notice this. Utterly amazed, they ask, aren't these all those who are speaking Galileans? Then how is that each of us hears them in our native language of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phygra, Pam Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts Jews from Christians and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own language. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Good question. So let's, let, let's give them an answer. First of all, let's go back to verse 2. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house they were sitting. First of all, this was not a weather event. Because sometimes we're like, man, uh, it must have been really windy that day. No, it just sounded like it. You ever been in the basement during a tornado? Or maybe inside of your home like the storms we dealt with this past weekend? You don't feel it, but you sure can hear it, can't you? So imagine yourself in those moments. You're sitting in a place where all of a sudden it sounds like a hurricane or a tornado or a large storm is just whistling through the place. Nothing's moving but it's roaring then it goes on to say and, and this is not something that's unusual in, he, in Hebrew culture the idea and, and this is what I want you to understand wind and spirit those words wind and spirit are the same words in Greek and in Hebrew they use them interchangeably and so when they think about the idea of wind they're also sometimes conveying it as a spirit or the Holy Spirit to be specific and even more so if you look in the, back in the Old Testament, you'll see several occasions where the wind always indicates God's presence. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1. When Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with a sword, later on, Elijah went in. We don't get into all this. Elijah went into a cave, and a wind came to the front of the cave, and it was the presence of God. If we go into other places in Scripture, Isaiah chapter 66, verse 15, we'll see some parts in Isaiah where it says simply this, that there was a wind, there was a blowing, blowing there was a roaring, and that indicated the presence of God. The Lord is coming with fire and with chariots, or like a what? 
whirlwind. It doesn't say it is a whirlwind. It says what? Like a whirlwind. Now keep going. Ezekiel chapter 37 verses 9 through 14. The prophet comes up and he sees all the dry bones laying in places. And he says, then, then he said to me, prophesy to the breath prophecy son of man and say this is what the sovereign lord says come breathe from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live so simply he's saying he says ezekiel prophesy that the wind would come and that these dry bones would come and live again and it was the presence of god you got to understand something when this wind came this sound came it was the presence of god indicating that a new chapter had begun that he was resting in that place. But there's more. If that wasn't confusing, the next part's really confusing, right? Because let's read what happens next. It says in verse 3, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. All right, that's strange. Can we just be real with each other for a second? You're sitting in the room, God fills it with a holy roar and then fire appears but it's in the shape of a tongue what do you make of that well I want you to understand something it wasn't literal tongues it says like a if you see, go back to verse 3 they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire but fire always represented God's presence first Kings chapter 18 verses 38 through 39 Elijah is standing before the pit and it says then the fire of the Lord fell and it burned up the sacrifice the wood the stones and the soil and licked up the water in the trench go on to Exodus chapter 3 verse 2 one of the most profound passages of scripture about God's fire the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flames of the fire within a what the burning bush he spoke to Moses Exodus chapter 19 verse 18 really important Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in what fire then we go on to Ezekiel chapter 1 verse 37 interestingly enough or chapter 20 chapter chapter 1 verse 27 I saw what appeared to be his waist but he looked up like a glowing metal as if it was full of what fire all of this representing God and you have all these images in the Old Testament wind and fire coming to rest in this new church now the body of Christ and what's interesting even more so to me is if you go back to verse 3 it says they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them it didn't just one fire because if you go to Mount Sinai if we went back to Exodus like we just read it said Moses went up on the mountain there was fire and there was smoke and it was consuming but then here's what's difference here's what changes from being Jewish to being Christian is that the fire is the presence of the Lord and then it separates and lands on you and here's what's beautiful about you if you know Jesus Christ is in you that's good news for you you don't have to consult anybody now you don't have to wait for a word from the lord you've got christ specifically you've got the presence of the holy spirit living inside of you and then there's one more thing and this is where there's a lot of controversy in churches today and we're gonna do our best to straighten it up in 30 seconds hundreds of years of just can, can you guys what a miracle we're gonna be able to do that just joking so all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now I want you to pause here for a second. You see that little word filled there. 
There is a difference between being filled with the Holy Spirit and baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, if you go back one page, Acts chapter 1, verse 5, it says, For John baptized, Jesus is speaking these words, For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, to be baptized with the Holy Spirit means to be immersed in or brought into the body of Christ. If you become a Christian, you are baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, we symbolize that like we did this morning. We baptize someone, and if you remember what happened during baptism, if you weren't asleep, what happened was the young lady went completely under the water and came back out. She was immersed. And when you become a Christian, you are immersed into the body of Christ. It's like standing at the edge of the Gulf Coast at the Atlantic Ocean, and you take a cup of water, and you throw it into the ocean. It doesn't become two separate things, does it? They become one. And that's what happens to you when you become a Christian. You are brought into Jesus. That's good news. And there's no separating that out, y'all. Now, that's baptism of the Holy Spirit. That happens once. There's a filling of the Holy Spirit, what happens a lot. Now, we don't have time to really flesh that out. But to Bar's podcast, we will, all right? We'll be sending that out. But here's what I want you to get here. All of them were filled, go back to verse 4, with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit, what? enable them. This is not something they did on their own. This is something they didn't conjure up. God empowered them to do it. Now, I want you to understand a couple of things. This was not babble. They didn't just start rolling off a, different, a lot of different sounds. Why do you say that? Well, here's why. If you go down into verse 2 or verse 5 through the end of verse 12, all of these people who were in Jerusalem at the time to celebrate Pentecost, it said there were Egyptians, there were Christians, there were Romans, there were people from Asia, Mesopotamia, from all over the world could do what? Hear their own language. This is important to understand here. When you become a Christian, it doesn't mean you're going to start speaking in tongues. There was purpose in this. And it was evident that the purpose was to see people come to know Jesus. Because next week we're going to study something at the rest of Acts chapter 2 to where 3,000 people come to know Christ because of this one moment here. Now, all that being said, I want you to get this. There are three things going on, and they affect three of the major senses that we have. They see it, they hear it, and they speak it. You get that? All of this is happening. But the question that remains for us this morning is simply this. What is the purpose? Why did God choose to do it this way? And then the bigger question we're going to ask later is, what does it mean for us in 2023? As I go to work tomorrow, as I deal with family relationships, as I try to forgive, as I try to begin to raise my children or pay the bills, why is that important for me? Well, there's a couple things that you need to be mindful of. First and foremost, and this is number one, is that in the midst of all this, God is fulfilling the promise that he promised the people of God in two ways. Go back to Acts chapter one, verse four and five. He tells them what? Wait in Jerusalem because I'm gonna give you the gift my father promised you, which you have heard me speak about. And that's the gift of the Holy Spirit. Wait. I'm going to fulfill the promise. And then a few days later, 10 days later, he does. He also speaks about this in the gospel. And John, if you flip a few pages over, specifically in verse 16, verses 12 through 15, he's teaching the, 
the church before, or teaching the disciples and those who are following before he dies on the cross and rises from the dead. He says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak of his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive when he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father's mind, that is why it is, I said, the spirit will, will receive from me what it will make known to you two things i want you to get he promises the church they won't be left alone and two he promises the spirit in us the objective is to make much of jesus not him now all that being said here is that god is fulfilling the promise of the holy spirit the holy spirit has always been there's father son and what holy spirit he's always been we go back to genesis chapter one the bible says let us do this let us do that we see it throughout scripture the holy spirit was on king david the holy spirit appears throughout the entirety we saw it in ezekiel just a few moments ago but there's something different the holy spirit is present but he comes and goes but when christ comes the promise is that for the christian the holy spirit stays that's good news for you because there's a, several things that's going on here the Holy Spirit, when he comes into your life, does a couple of things. He empowers you. He purifies and convicts. Y'all ever had that happen, right? You hear that, that small voice when you're about to sin or you have sin? And it's like, don't do it. I had a teacher one time, and he was, he, we would do something stupid like we would always do. Because I always, I was one of those back-of-the-classroom sitters. Are any of y'all in my club? Y'all know, yes, the sound, it's the sound music of my people right there. And he would look at us sometimes, and he was just so smooth and cool. He'd look at us and go, don't do it. And I feel like that's God in me saying that sometimes. And y'all been there? Don't do it. He teaches and he leads. He provides an appropriate emotional atmosphere to the truth. Here, I see these things in, in competition sometimes. Is that I want to be so intellectual that I forget the emotional, or I'm going to be so emotional that I forget the intellectual. Do you know those things are married and need to be? He assures us, he unites us, and he reveals to us through Scripture the evidence of God's presence. There are times when we're singing in this room that you can feel the presence of God, right? That's the Holy Spirit. That's God in you. And the promise of all this is that Christ is making the church, is that I'm bringing to you this wonderful, precious gift. It's God. And instead of indwelling the temple in Jerusalem, I'm going to indwell you. You're my temple. This imperfect, as we say around here, jacked up person. I'm going to indwell you. I'm going to empower you. I'm going to work in you. I'm going to move in you. Now, understand this. The promise is that he will be with us forever. The promise is not that we will feel it all the time. Now, you understand that, right? The promise is that he will be with us forever. But many times we, we misunderstand that and say we gotta, we got to chase that feeling all the time. That's not the promise. Because there are times in my sin or in my distraction that while I am assured I'm going to go to heaven, I don't always feel sure I'm going to heaven. Y'all been there? Doesn't mean you're not going to go. 
If you truly ask Christ to come in your life, but whether it's because of temptation or sin, you've muted that voice in your life. It happens. So understand something here. When we see the birth of the church in Acts chapter 2, we're seeing the fulfillment of a promise. Now here's my question, and we're going to transition a little bit. Have you experienced that promise? And really the only way to experience is to know Jesus. That does not mean you're going to stand up and speak in tongues. All right? But it does mean you're immersed into the body of Christ. Have you done that? Because there's a part two to this. And the part two is simply this. If you go on down, verse four, four, it says, All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, and the Spirit enabled them. And then it goes on in verses 5 through the end of this, uh, verse 13, and it says this, he began, they began to speak in the languages of the people that could hear them, and then later on in chapter 2, those people came to know Jesus. Now, I want you to go back one more page here, and it says this in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus, the last thing he says to the disciples, but before he ascends into heaven, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, Okay? Obviously, as they're sitting in the upper room and they hear the roaring of the wind and they see the tongues of fire and they speak in other, different, other languages, I would say that was the power of God. Would you all agree on that? Now, why did they receive that power in that moment? Let's keep reading verse 8. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. That is the calling for a Christian. That is the calling of the church, is to take this gospel and take it to the ends of the earth. That's your calling. That's my calling. But man, God does something wonderful here. It is no coincidence this happens on the day of Pentecost when there are tens of thousands of people from all over the world speaking different languages, coming to Jerusalem, that the early church is born, that the body of Christ begins to demonstrate itself by speaking in tongues of the languages of all those people who come to know Christ and then become missionaries to where their homeland is. Isn't that cool? Acts chapter 1 verse 8 happens right there. And here's the point. You're, you, you are saved to be a person who he sends. And the calling on your life is to live sent. It's immediate, y'all. It's immediate. We don't like to talk about, we don't, we don't want like to think about gospel sharing because we think gospel sharing is to knock on people's doors and tell them they're going to hell. No, no, no. It means that you become a person who gospels in their life. What does this mean? It means to live sent means in your family, in your workplace. The transforming power of the gospel changes us. We become so Christocentric that we find our hope, assurance, empowerment, peace, joy. And that propels itself into a culture that so desperately needs it. You want to speak in tongues, right? Well, then live sent. And the way you do that is you perpetuate the joy of knowing Christ. That's the tongue of today. Of saying, I've found this truth, I've found this hope, I've found this gospel, and it has radically changed me. It's changed my family. I want to live sent to my children. I want to live sent to my workplace. I want to live sent to my, to my church, to everywhere I go. Doesn't mean you're going to go out and stand on a box in the middle of Winder and tell people they're going to hell and they better repent. It means that the joy of the Lord is on you, it changed you, and therefore with your mouth you speak it. You feel me on this? That's living sent. You have a testimony. 
And that testimony is that God has changed you. That's your tongue, guys. Now, here's the question. If it changes us, and it changes the world because the dominoes begin to fall in this text, right? You see it all the way to the end of Acts chapter 28. Here's the question. What do we do? How do we apply it? His purpose was to fulfill his promise and to empower you to gospel. And again, I want to clarify, gospel does not mean you walk down the streets and knock on doors. Gospel means it's how you live. It's how you live. But how to do that? So here's the second part. First part, what was his purpose? Second part, what do we do in 2023? You with me? Here's the first point, real quick, because we've got to do communion. And I'm already preaching too long. So you should come to the 11 o'clock service. We'll go to 1 o'clock. Yeah, that's fine. You're like, nope. <laughs> I promise you, Golden Corral will be open. And they have plenty of food. Number one, be baptized. Okay, let's deal with that. It applies to you today by being baptized in the sense that you need to come to Jesus. You know, not just being baptized like we experienced this morning, but being brought into the body of Christ. Here's the best way I can say it. I'm going to try to tell you it in two ways. You ready for the first way? You ready for this? Do you know that you know that you know? Do you know Jesus? Let me say it another way. And I grew up in the 80s where evangelists went everywhere. But I can't think of a better way to say it. If you were to die tonight, would you go to heaven? And the answer can't be probably, or maybe, or I hope so. The answer has to be either yes or no. When you have had grace lavished upon you, and you truly said, Jesus, I need you, you're saved. There's no I hope so, it's I know so. So what is it? You say, what I have found in our culture is we've had a lot of experiences but not a lot of encounters with the Lord. Well, what's the difference? If we could get in a time machine and go back to where God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, he's standing on Mount Sinai and there's lightning and there's fire and there's wind and there's a cloud of smoke and Moses is standing in the middle of it and God presents himself. The rest of Israel's at the base of the mountain looking up going, what is going on? Moses had an encounter with the Lord that changed him forever. In fact, said, the Bible says, in fact, his face glowed so much he had to wear a veil. He had an encounter with God. It changed him. The people of Israel had an experience to the point where they created an idol so they could manufacture that experience again. You see, many of you guys had a great experience, but you ain't had an encounter. The encounter changes you forever. The experience is no different than going to a U2 concert. That's just as, as blunt as I can make it. The encounter means you begin to gospel. The experience means you begin to be moral. God doesn't want you to be moral. God wants you to be saved. Two. You live sent. Notice the believers were filled with the Holy Spirit, meaning they were submissive. And they began to live sent. 
Are you living sent? Are you making, are you making Jesus the priority in what you do, how you live, what you say? Are we going to make mistakes? Absolutely. Absolutely. But are we trying to live sent? Here's where I find most of us who know Jesus, including yourself. Several years ago, um, I, we have an incredible partnership with first responders, the fire department, the police department, the sheriff's department here in this community. And I got a phone call one night, and I was, I'm one of the go-to pastors of several of us in this community that get a phone call when a bad, tragic accident happens or there's an emergency or they need prayer. And one of the firemen called who's in charge that day and said, I need you to start praying now. Well, I said, okay, what's going on? There was a guy cutting grass in his backyard. It may have been one of you. There was a guy cutting grass in Barrow County, y'all. Just think through this. And y'all, some of y'all are going to be surprised. Uh, there was a guy cutting grass, and all of a sudden there was a piece of metal that popped up, and he looked at it and realized it was a bomb. He called us. We came and looked at it. It is a bomb from World War One that fell out of a plane, landed in his backyard almost 100 years ago, was buried, and is sitting there now. And if we touch it, we may all die. Boy, how's your Saturday afternoon, you know? Can you imagine? <laughs> I'm just cutting grass, man. <laughs> There's a World War I bomb in my backyard. Wow. Good thing is that uh, they brought in the bomb squad. They dug it up. They took it to uh, the firing range here in uh, Barrow County, and they blew it up, and that's on one side of the county, and the windows of the hospital rattled. That's how big the explosion was. Been sitting there for years, covered up waiting and holy spirit some of you in your life been sitting there for years and you're covering up what are you waiting for what are you waiting for christian maybe you're not a christian but what are you waiting for so for some of you sitting here my challenge to you this morning is quit waiting start doing live sent the other challenge is if you don't know christ it's time to quit playing games and having an encounter not an experience you with me on that know that you know that you know put away your agenda and repent put away your pride and submit put away your pain and let God do the healing and it's a good place to be so here's what we're going to do the band's going to come back out we're going to take communion this is how we take communion but we're going to throw a little curveball to you this morning first of all we take communion by you sitting there preparing your heart to be reminded of what Christ has done you come up you take the elements back to your seat and we take it together as a church if that's not clear, just follow the person who's here, okay? They'll show you what to do. But here's the second thing. Some of you are here today, and you don't know Christ. You've, you've had that experience, but you've never had that encounter. Well, it's time to have an encounter. Y'all with me? So if you're here today and you don't know who Jesus is, you've never grabbed hold of his promise, or understood his power, I want to show you or teach you about what it means to know Jesus. So I'm going to be standing off to my left against the wall praying, preparing my heart. If you need prayer, if you need Christ, if you need anything, we're here. And if you're not comfortable doing that, on the Connect card given to you, there's a box that says, Today I need to know Jesus or I want to be baptized. Just check the box. Make sure your name and phone number are on it. Drop it in the offering box as you leave. Or we're going to give you a third way. Text in the phrase, I need Jesus, to the number on the phone. And we'll be in touch with you tomorrow morning. But we really want you to know that you know that you know. Y'all with me, people? And then at the same time, for those of you who know Christ, quit covering up the things that would keep you from living for Jesus and experiencing what it means to live a gospel-centered life. Let things go. And let, things do only, let God do only things that he can do. You with me? This morning, capture what it means to follow Christ. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And God, in these moments, I pray that you would work. I pray that you would remind. I pray that you would bless. And I pray, God, that you would fill me and fill this church, fill each one of us with your presence to, 
let us experience and encounter you at the same time. We don't want just to have something that we manufacture. We want to have something that we know, and that is you. So God, move, I pray. I beg for that. And God, as we take communion, prepare our hearts. Thank you.